0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. So what do you do with your spare time? Well, if you're award-winning Washington Post columnist David Ignatius... You're not satisfied with writing two columns a week offering some of the best insights into American foreign policy? In his spare time, David Ignatius also writes great spy novels. He's written 11 of them so far, including the latest, The Paladin, one of his best, I believe, about the scary world of cybersecurity and a CIA agent who's stabbed in the back by his own bosses at the CIA. I recently had a chance to Zoom with David Ignatius as part of a program I host at the Hill Center on Capitol Hill. We talked about Russia, North Korea, the Middle East, and other foreign policy hotspots. And we talked about the very real challenges facing America in cybersecurity today and how prepared we are or aren't to deal with them. David Ignatius, it's nice to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. I've been a big fan of your column for for many years. Uh, Many, many of us are. Uh, also a big fan of your books, David. I think most people, many people don't realize that in addition to writing a terrific column for the Washington Post, you're a great novelist, uh, international spy novels. I love your latest one just out. Called Thank you. Malad- which I've read and very, very much uh, enjoyed. Um, I think my favorite, I have to tell you, is Body of Lies, which uh, ended up being a great movie uh, directed by Ridley Scott. Uh, and has a very much of a Capitol Hill history because, as you know, part of Body of Lies was filmed, a scene which was supposedly the flower market in Amsterdam was filmed, filmed right here at the Eastern Market.
1: Well, I uh, I know that, and uh, it, they did an amazing job in, in of turning your neighborhood into uh, the scene of, of a Imagine terrorist attack Uh, watching that film being made and of course i couldn't stay away from the movie sets in washington uh, in morocco uh several other places uh was just such an education ridley scott is an artist uh one of the very best directors there is and the meticulous care which they create these sets Uh, ridley scott loves to blow smoke through the air it's not visible as smoke but it gives a graininess to the images uh when the movie is, is shot and seen and I, I thought you know this is uh, this is an artist this is what must cost a lot i wouldn't want to pay the bills for the studio for blowing all that smoke but anyway well uh,
0: i was there that afternoon at the easter market to watch the uh, amsterdam flower market blow up and i'm glad <laughs> i'm glad it was all uh, imagery and spared the easter market but it was nice to be Nice to be famous just for those few moments. So, David, I I, I really want to talk to you about some of these cybersecurity issues that you raised uh, in Paladin, but uh, having a Washington Post columnist, if you'll forgive me, I'd love to start with some news of the day and questions about a couple of your recent comments. Let's start with today. I mean, it's sort of like the plague of locusts, I think, that has struck us, right? We're dealing with this now triple crisis, the public health crisis of the coronavirus with 1.8 million cases now in the United States, 107,000 107, people died from the disease, the economic crisis with 41 million Americans out of work, and now we have this racial unrest following uh, the killing of uh, uh, George Floyd in Minneapolis. As anytime there's a crisis in this country, we turn to the White House, we turn to the President for direction, for leadership. How would you rate President Trump's response to this triple
1: crisis? I think President Trump just hasn't found, may not have the language to speak to the country in this period of trauma. Uh, we, our nerves are frazzled. It's been a series of, of body blows the pandemic uh, the loss of life but also just the sense of anxiety uh, the evidence uh, in, in recent days of police brutality and racism being just a part, part of our of our story and the anger uh, that, that, that people feel in the streets if people black and white seem to, to, to share it and the images of our cities burning it, it's just it's a period where uh, it feels like, um, the ground is quaking underneath us. And I'm, sh- and I'm sure we all feel feel traumatized by it. I, I spent today writing about the President's efforts to draw the U.S. military into this. Uh, in his call uh, yesterday, as we speak with the governors, mm-hmm. uh, he said he was putting uh, General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, in charge of the response. And that sent shivers down the spines of people who care about the military and about keeping it separate from, from politics. So today, uh, so many, was was one more day of worrying that the leadership we have in the White House just is not uh, making our fundamental social cohesion work better, but is making it worse. Uh, uh,
0: in a recent column, you talked about Uh, Michael Flynn, you were the very first person to report on Michael Flynn's phone call with, or to comment on, uh, talk about Michael Flynn's famous phone call, with, or calls, I should say, maybe with Ambassador Kislyak, uh, wherein he did talk about sanctions. Uh, He later pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI, and, and he lied to the vice president. What was your Response when you the Justice Department said asked the judge to drop all charges against Michael Flynn,
1: I was astonished uh, to be to be honest. It, w- this was a case in which Flynn had pleaded guilty uh, to the charges, uh, uh, had settled a more complicated investigation that involved uh, additional allegations against him, but but had, had said that he. In his interview with the FBI, um, had misrepresented the nature of his conversation with Ambassador Kislyak. We now have the the transcripts of the conversations that took place on on December 29, the the day in which the U.S. expelled 35 Russian diplomats in quotation marks uh, in retaliation, finally, for the Russian assault on our elections uh, in 2016. On, On that very day, we now have a transcript of what uh, Michael Flynn, the National security advisor designate was saying to the representative of this country that attacked us and it, it, it's it's pretty shocking to read um, I, yeah. we'll see what what Judge Emmett Sullivan who, who has held up the Justice Department's effort to drop the case decides uh, whether whether it'll let let the case uh, just disappear as Attorney General Barr wants or, or whether to, to in some way keep it going. But um, the, 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 the actual transcript of this call that I wrote about so long ago, my column appeared uh, in, in January of, of 2017, to, to finally see the text over this past week was pretty interesting. Right, uh,
0: and I was struck that the, the Attorney General said, um, there didn't seem to be a crime. He didn't see... I thought, David, lying to the FBI was a crime.
1: So I'm not a lawyer, and I don't, I don't want to get into the small details of, of this legal argument. Uh, I, I, I wrote at the time, and, and have written since, that first, if there wasn't something wrong about this call, why did Flynn and others at the White House go to such lengths Starting the day of publication of my column, January 12, uh, 2017, to conceal it. Uh, it was one of the things that's surfaced as this case has been examined, is that there were specific uh, attempts to, to misdirect people and, uh, and, and deny the facts as we now know them. Why? Why was that? Uh, if, there was, if there was nothing wrong here, uh, why did Flynn uh, conceal the details from Vice President Pence so that Pence went on television and stated something that, that was later shown to be false? Why did President Trump ask Flynn to resign uh, after all the, the facts were dis- disclosed? And I, I think the, the simple answer is we can now see that on the day when President Obama, on behalf of the country, was trying to hold the Russians accountable for this assault on all of us, on, on our elections. It just wasn't it wasn't right to be having that conversation uh, with Russia's top representative in Washington. It's, it's, it's no more complicated than that to me. The, 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 the details, Bill, of what the lawyers will argue, that's way beyond me. I'm just trying to talk about the basic kind of right and wrongs so, of it and raising the right questions, I believe.
0: Uh, Related, on a related topic, or sort of a different aspect of the same issue, in the last two weeks, um, President Trump has had two long conversations with President Putin, um, and has talked about openly inviting him to join the G7 at their meeting, which the President wants to have, I guess, at Camp David. Um, You call this, I believe, a or question whether there's a tactical tilt toward Russia. Is
1: that what we're seeing? I described it that way, and I think there there is now a fairly clear uh, tilt, uh, especially in terms of arms control negotiations. Uh, We are prepared to resume conversations with Russia, but what we really want is Russia's help in bringing China into a, trilateral negotiation over strategic nuclear weapons. And I think that's appropriate. The Chinese are bidding mm-hmm. for parity with the United States and Russia. This is not just a two-way street. It's it's something uh, more than that. Beyond that, I, I felt um, for four years now that there's nothing inappropriate in itself in wanting to have dialogue between the U.S. and Russia, even in a period of extreme Tension and difficulty like this, I think. I think that's what what countries do. It wasn't appropriate to have it on the day that we were imposing sanctions, expelling thirty five diplomats. But but in general, I think that the countries need to keep talking even when they're in a state of, uh, of high uh, tension and, and confrontation. Uh, so that that desire on the part of the president, uh, I, I don't I don't find fault with with, with the basics of that. I don't think this is the time to be inviting Russia back into what used to be called the G8. That's a big reward, and it shouldn't be done separate from our conversations with our allies. One problem with this president is he just wants to do things unilaterally, doesn't consult with the countries we're we're closest to, uh, Germany, France, Britain. And since they're members of the G7, they ought to have a say in in who gets invited back in. This isn't an American dictated club. so. I, but I think someday the idea of Russia rejoining this community um, is, is is something worth talking about. But it, it isn't now, and it isn't uh, something for Trump to do unilaterally. Uh,
0: speaking of another um, strong world leader that Donald Trump seems to be very fond of, he has now had three summits with Kim Jong-un of North Korea. What what do we get out of that? What, what was accomplished by that in terms of the goal of um, North Korea not being a nuclear power?
1: Not much. Uh, Trump had high hopes. And uh, again, I'm gonna say what may be unconventional, but I, I think Trump was right to pursue uh, the diplomatic opening with North Korea. I, I think uh, he uh, had a, a vision of bringing North Korea into a more modern, uh, economic relationship with the United States, with, with the world. Um, that was pretty good carrot. It's appropriate for us to offer that. Uh, but the problem is that there has been, from the beginning, no evidence that North Korea is actually prepared to give up its nuclear weapons. and Trump has bet on the come that, that they would eventually deliver something when there was really no evidence to support that. Um, so I think my take on this bill is um, I I'm in favor of diplomacy. want to talk to Kim Jong-un? I'm for it, but I'm not in favor of our deluding ourselves that people are making concessions when they aren't. Um, uh, I I think uh, Kim Kim Jong-un continues to be uh, uh, belligerent uh, in his statements. He continues to test weapons in a way that's inappropriate. So, uh, You know, I I hope there won't be an October surprise from North Korea, and I'd love Mm -hmm. to see the talks resume in a serious way with experts talking about what a step-by-step process that would lead to the eventual complete denuclearization of North Korea. That was the basic premise of the the Trump-Kim summits. But I'd love to see that process resume. uh, And and I think we should all say, good, that's that's what ought to happen but uh, so far it's the North Koreans who are staying away from those talks and who just don't seem serious about any of the initial preliminary steps that would be part of eventual uh, relief of sanctions.
0: Tilting the globe uh, quite a bit, um, I know that for some 15 years, you are a close friend of Jamal Khashoggi, and here we are with now the Trump administration, Uh, not only, to my knowledge, never really outright condemning this or holding MBS responsible, even though that's what our intelligence agencies say, but now the Trump administration is saying they may even bypass Congress to sell some more weapons to Saudi Arabia that the Congress has ruled against. Um, how
1: How do you see this relationship with Saudi Arabia? I think under uh, Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, the, the relationship is in, in bad shape on every level other than the direct uh, White House to royal palace level. I think Congress increasingly is unhappy with the relationship, angry at the Saudis for their behavior. I think our uniformed military is unhappy with the Saudis. I think. Our intelligence agencies I, I feel the same way. I wrote a story a few days ago that uh, our viewers may have may have seen describing how Mohammed bin Salman has ordered the imprisonment of two young children, 20 and 21, of the former top uh, aide to the interior minister who saved, I want to say, thousands of American lives by his... Uh, intelligence activities to to help us identify terrorists. There was, we remember, uh, uh, cartridge bombs that were undetectable that the the Al Qaeda affiliate in Yemen had had devised really diabolical uh, weapons. And it was the Saudis and their intelligence sources in Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula who saved us from that disaster. Saudi official who helped run those operations now has his own children imprisoned in an, an undisclosed location in an attempt to force him to go home, because uh, Mohammed bin Salman doesn't doesn't like him and sees him as a threat. I mean that that just that cannot be in our world. You cannot hold children hostage in an attempt to pressure their parents and expect the United States to stand by and. An applaud. I, I, and I think the White House, absolutely time for the White House to speak out about this.
0: Today's podcast with David Ignatius is brought to you by the great Teamsters Union, the American Brotherhood of Teamsters under the leadership of President Jim Hoffa, a real powerhouse in the labor movement, 1.5 million members strong, representing, as they say, Every branch of business from A to Z, from airline pilots to zookeepers. The great workers of the Teamsters Union, we salute them, thank them for their good work, and thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe, it's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre qualified for a car in minutes. In the last six weeks, the president has fired four independent uh, uh, generals or inspector generals, rather, at four different agencies, uh, the Defense Department, uh, Health and Human Services, the State Department. I forget the other one. Uh, and you wrote in your a recent column uh, to President Trump, stop acting like you own the place.
1: You know, <laughs> I, I said
0: the- <laughs> but these guys are. I always respected as pretty independent watchdogs for us. So these right?
1: are our, our auditors. Uh, what I said in that column was that Donald Trump, for all his business experience, doesn't have much experience with, with publicly traded companies. They mostly have private companies. They have auditors, but the financial results uh, are not public. So this idea of public accountability, which every corporate CEO understands very well not something that's part of Donald Trump's business education. So he just doesn't get this idea that, that we have auditors, inspectors, inspectors general. There are almost 80 of them now throughout the federal government uh, who, who are independent. And you, you can call them up. They have whistleblower hotlines. And it's part of how we keep our federal agencies operating in, in, a, in a orderly, non-corrupt way. And he, he just, he's not prepared to tolerated. And the latest firing of the inspector general of the State Department was particularly egregious because it, it said that that inspector general was investigating Secretary of State Pompeo, uh, who was the person who was instrumental in this, in this firing. It's not a family business. The people who are our government officials are stewards temporarily. They're put there by us. And the idea that they can act as if they own the place and fire people willy-nilly uh, should it should be infuriating to people? I mean, if you were if you were a shareholder in a company, and the CEO behaved this way, you'd fire the CEO. And uh, I, I just people shouldn't shouldn't uh, find this tolerable. It's just wrong.
0: So uh, Peladin, uh, great book, your newest book, your eleventh yes, novel, uh, David. Um, I must admit. That you drove me to the dictionary, and I'm sure a lot of other people, <laughs> to look up the word paladin. It's not a word that we often use.
1: <laughs> Why? What's it so, mean to you? Uh, paladin, I, I remember, it's embedded in my, in my consciousness because of a TV show I loved when I was a kid called Have Gun, Will Travel. Uh, Richard Boone played the hero, the sort of suave the detective, cowboy detective in San Francisco. Uh, and his card uh, referred to him as the Paladin, and it had a great theme song wow. I, I could sing, but your viewers wouldn't uh, they'd all run away from their from their screens. The, the name the uh, Paladin comes uh, oddly enough from uh, ninth century France the time of Charlemagne and the Paladin were a kind of fraternity of French knights and warriors who sought to protect um, uh, decent citizens from marauders. They were a bit like the Knights of the Round Table. It was a a fraternity uh, of of do-gooders. And in my book, uh, the hero of the novel, uh, Michael Dunn, uh, the novel opens with his life essentially collapsing. He's a CIA officer. He's been assigned to do something that he suspected was illegal, penetrating a journalistic organization in Italy. And he ends up getting indicted, convicted, uh, sent to prison. His wife leaves him for other complicated reasons. His his whole life collapses. And when he gets out of prison, he receives a letter that is anonymous, but is signed the paladin offering to help him escape from this predicament and find the people who did him wrong. So uh, my fraternity of, of French knights, you know, finds a contemporary uh, analogy out. Also, I just think it's a cool name, the Paladin. I, uh, I, hope, I hope it gets better known as a result of this.
0: Uh, it is, it's a gripping story of how this man, as you say, was a CIA employee, not giving away the entire plot, but who is turned on by his own leadership at the CIA. But in the end, uh, he gets even. and uh, uh, but, He does. So this whole, it's all around, as you mentioned, this Italian news organization, which is a phony news organization, um, which, you know, we hear the phrase fake news today, fake sites. These people were were really good, right? <laughs> I mean, they, they were not only putting out fake news, they were putting out fake videos, yeah, right? And I'm, so how how real is that threat?
1: Uh, It's very real. So uh, as you say, we've been in the era of of fake news. Uh, President Trump uses that phrase uh, twice a day, it seems. Uh, But we're entering the the era of fake events. And it is uh, the the case that um, sound and image of you or me or anyone can be created today in a a computer using what are known as generative adversarial networks, basically running two neural networks, you know, one that creates the fake and the other that detects every anomalous detail so that, you know, the fake gets better and better and better. Uh, Those exist and and they produce eerily uh, believable videos this is a problem that worries our intelligence agencies a lot. How how do they know that the imagery they're getting is real? It wasn't just cooked in some adversary's computer. So they've they've been thinking about it a lot. But we as citizens or uh, as people who are trading in financial markets are going to have to think about it a ton because these tools are all out there and people are going to use them. Uh, They're going to use them to inflame opinion during election campaigns. Just imagine what could be dropped into a campaign that would just seem absolutely real uh, in, uh, in October. Uh, and imagine what could be done to destabilize financial markets. News about a company, uh, you know, a product safety problems, uh, health scares with the, with the product, stock price collapses, and people make tons of money That is the world we're living in, where these things can be created. And the kind of one thing I hope people will take away from the paladin is, we need to be much smarter consumers of information because a lot of what's coming at us in our information stream these days could be polluted. And we need to know that we've got clean information coming and have some way of verifying it. So
0: So as a society, we're vulnerable. As individuals, we're also vulnerable to this?
1: So people could create a fake video about any of us doing the most outlandish things. So think of our personal lives, things that could shatter a marriage, shatter a career, uh, destroy our reputations. That imagery could be created now and put online. And by the time the truth catches up to the lie, if it catches up at all, the damage uh, very likely would would be done. So it, it... this is a, a big problem. It's one that uh, Facebook, Google, uh, other right. platforms are thinking about a lot, and they, and they should, because somehow we're going to have to have better ways of being sure that the information, the facts that come to us, are real facts, that they're actually, they actually happen. They weren't created in the computer. Well, I, I was just going to say that uh, sarcastically,
0: that we don't have to worry because of course Twitter or Google or Facebook wouldn't allow this junk up on their platform because they have, do such a good job of screening fake videos, right?
1: Well, so you, know, I, I, you have yeah. a, a smile on your face um, as, as one should. So one interesting question is whether um, Google and Facebook should be in the, in the job of, of preventing us from seeing this imagery. And I think the answer probably in most cases is no, unless it's really inflammatory, it's dangerous. It it literally is a polluted stream that's going to make us sick. Um, But, you know, I I liken this to forgeries in the art world. Uh, There have been forgers since there were great painters. And people who want to buy a piece of art want to establish that something was really painted by the person whose whose name is on it. But I wouldn't, I mean, there there are people who love to, to buy forgeries, you know, pe- people sometimes make collections of them, and I wouldn't want to prevent you from buying, you know, some knockoff artist's a version of Modigliani or or Marc Chagall. I, I just want I want a little provenance notification so that I may buy the forgery, but I have some record establishing whether something is real or not. I want I want it to be the same way with information, so you can you can still consume false information. People will. And I don't want, I mean, we have a First Amendment. You, you, you're able to consume lies, uh, you know, as long as they're not dangerous. But I'd like them to be better identified so that unwitting people are not caught up in false information and taken places they don't want to go.
0: Who is doing this
1: today? Is it Russia? Is it China? Is, are there uh, Americans? Yeah, are, so uh, this is an industry. I mean, if you've ever been to hacker conventions, something that I've done as part of my book research, you'll, you'll find a lot of you know, people with ponytails and you know piercings, and but they're super smart, and they're from all over the world, and they're learning these skills that they have they, they learned off of uh, all of the leaks of special secret NSA tools, uh, hacking techniques. Uh, so, so the world's gone to school on, on our uh, ability to, to do surveillance and, and manipulation. There are consulting companies around the world that are operating in a kind of gray zone that will go after uh, people who are making trouble for you in business and in, in your personal life. If you hire private detectives today, they have available resources that once only the, government, the government's had. Uh, but today, increasingly in, in the private sector, that's, again, one of the themes of this book is this netherworld of, of, of these sort of super hackers who have, who have skills sometimes that go beyond even those of the government. That's why the CIA wants to get inside of this supposedly journalistic organization uh, in Italy that, that's at the center of the plot of the Paladin, because they, they know how to do things that even our government doesn't know how to do.
0: Well, we do know that other governments are doing this. Let's go back to 2016. Um, we do know that the Russians were uh, attempting to influence this election on behalf of Donald Trump. Our intelligence agencies, uh, all 17, have confirmed that. Um, and we don't know to what extent, how many votes they influenced, but they were able to get some of these fake messages up, b- b- meetings or fake organizations uh, online. A lot of people saw them. Um Are you saying that they should be able to do the same thing in 2020 without Twitter or Google or Facebook doing
1: anything about it? So I want there to be identification of where things come from. Uh, I think if you can demonstrate that uh, imagery in support of a candidate is, uh, in fact, um, not part of that candidate's campaign at all, but is been inserted by a foreign intelligence service, by, by by foreigners who are trying to manipulate our elections. Yes, you should be able to stop it. Um, you know, There are people who are going to uh, put inflammatory things online during this coming election season who won't have any, anything to do with Russia. Uh, and the, the stuff won't be any less pernicious um, uh, or divisive. So it's it just figuring out um, how we... Save our politics and the integrity of our politics. I, I think, to be honest, I think that social media platforms can do a lot. But at, at the end of the day, we citizens will get the politics we deserve. In, in the end, it comes down to the individual citizen voter who gets serious about his his or her information and makes good choices. Uh, you know, examines charges, um, makes 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 up their the mind. You know, on the the base of real evidence, if we don't have active, informed citizens, there is no way that you could have enough controls coming from the social media side, I don't think, uh, to prevent uh, – people have to decide that they don't want to be manipulated, that they want to be good citizens. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, the truth is this this election is going to be a character test for our country, for our citizens, um, as much as anything else.
0: I remember – the very first year um that president obama was in the white house and um i was going to the briefings every day uh and one of the first interviews he gave i believe it was with john harris but i'm a little vague there but i remember the question the final question was what keeps you awake at night and president obama said (laughs) "Cybersecurity." and i thought whoa i never (laughs) that's the last thing i would think that he might say um but it was real to him. And it's even more of a, I guess, threat today, correct? This is the new world
1: we're dealing. It, it is more of a threat today. Uh, it's, it's been the subject of my last three novels in one form or another. And I, I think people who enjoy spy novels have to understand everything that matters about, about the world of espionage, whether it's penetration of your adversaries, Networks or, or dissection of your adversary, any traditional theme is now basically zeros and ones. It's, it's this world has gone digital, uh, and, and I think you know, people need to to un- understand that reality. Uh, you know, I, President Obama uh, was was right to identify this as a problem, but in this, as in some other areas, he had he had less success than she should have in in. You know, creating the new laws, institutions that would actually make us make us safer. I just helped uh, two people I greatly respect in Congress, Senator Angus King and Representative Mike Gallagher, a uh, Republican from Wisconsin. Uh, Senator King is an independent from Maine. And together they chaired something called the uh, Cybersecurity Solarium Commission. Uh, and the Solarium Commission rep, uh, is a reference to uh, group that was created during the Eisenhower administration to think fundamentally about issues of nuclear security uh, back when that, those were still early uh, strategic problems. So this commission met for a year. It came up with fabulous recommendations. I really would urge people to go online and, and look for c- cybersecurity, Slarence so Commission. Uh, I uh, helped them roll out the report just before the world shut down because of the coronavirus uh, back in, in March. But uh, Senator King told me recently that he is planning, as soon as the Senate really gets back to work, to take up the legislation that would actually um, mobilize us as a country to be able to deal with it. That so would create a new position, uh, Senate-confirmed, under the president, a kind kind of cyber czar who, who could coordinate all the activities of government, Who would uh, do all sorts of things to help uh, companies, uh, tech companies, and, and uh, companies that are part of our infrastructure, the electro grid companies, uh, help them all to be smarter and safer. Uh, I mean, we've seen with the, the coronavirus pandemic what happens if you don't prepare adequately for a crisis. Down the road, we're going to have one of these cyber attacks, and we are going to be so vulnerable. All of our our banking is going to melt down. Our ability to deliver things uh, through uh, through the internet, even to just a grocery store, for a time, is going to break down. So we need to be prepared. And thank goodness we had some smart people thinking about it. It's just I just hope something gets done as opposed to just a commission. So. Uh- we know that he's good at it.
0: We know the Russians are good at it, and I was—that's the question I wanted to end by asking you: Are we good at it? And I mean, guess what you're saying is we've got to get a lot better at it.
1: We're pretty good at it. We're awesome at it um, on the on the government level. The National Security Agency has been doing cyber hacking, um, you know, for decades. Uh, th- th- this has increasingly been the way we know things about other, other countries somebody said to me once you know what's the point of recruiting the head of uh, other countries intelligence service if you can recruit the systems administrator you've got access to everything they, they know so we've been at this for a long time don't nobody should be under any misapprehension about that what we haven't done is the kind of gross theft of intellectual property that china has specialized in and we haven't uh, generally uh, sought to use these tools to um, radically manipulate other countries' politics. The Russians claim, that's one of the things that Putin always brings up. He, he thinks that when he came back as president that we really went after him. We tried to condition Russian public opinion. We did it uh, openly uh, through our open communications, but he, he doesn't differentiate. He says it's all, it's all in the information space. What we did to you was simply a reprisal for what you did to us. I, I don't agree with that, but it, the, it, it's unfortunately the case, Bill, that we live in a world now where the information space, as the Russians call it, is a domain of war, and there is a constant low-level war that's going on in this domain. People don't realize it. We're, we're constantly at war, and and we're vulnerable. Well, we're civilians, but we get caught in the crossfire. We don't, even, we don't even realize it sometimes. But that's why I'd like people to take this issue more seriously. It's because it's all around us, and it's going to get worse.
0: Well, I would just say if you don't take it seriously enough yet, uh, you'll take it a lot more seriously after you, after you <laughs> read the problem. <laughs> and uh, that's probably your purpose in writing it in the last couple of books on the same subject, too. David Ignatius, you're very kind to spend so much time with us great work uh great conversation thanks so much
1: for joining us thank you bill such a pleasure
0: and that's it for today's episode of the bill press pod with david ignatius washington post columnist again his new novel is the paladin and there'll be a link to buy his novel on the notes of the program notes for today's podcast We remind you again to please subscribe to the Bill Press Pod if you haven't already done so. It's so easy and it's free. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, just pull up the Bill Press Pod, click on subscribe. You're in and then tell your friends, please, to do the same. Meanwhile, stay strong, stay healthy, wash your hands, social distance, and we'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.